week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 422. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? Big show, 422. It's finally answering one of the most common questions we've gotten in terms of hardware reviews into this show. How come you guys don't talk more about ThinkPad hardware? So this week, we're reviewing the X260, a commonly requested device right here on this show. It's a stacked laptop that often gets repurposed to run Linux, so we'll tell you how well it does that job, what it's like to use it, and then at the end of the show, to keep the spirit rolling... We overdid it last week. We had a plan B just in case some of our hardware didn't arrive, and we ended up with an extra classic laptop that runs Linux like a champ. Uh, no, what's the details? It's a T41, right? T41 ThinkPad is, is one of the original from uh, from IBM, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's, it's a great laptop. And the thing is, if you know how to set it up correctly, which Linux users do, you can actually drag a lot of life out of that thing. And I actually was banging around on it for a couple of days, and if I can get my work done on it, somebody else can. Too. We're gonna give it away. We're gonna give it away. Right. We're gonna give it away towards the end of the show. Before all Who of that, that, too. I know we we're awesome. We get to look at us. We're so great. Pat ourselves on the back. Uh, pat, pat. No. Then in the news segment, we're gonna talk about NextCloud nine and some big stuff around that. And then we'll break down snap packages, app images, flat packs. What's going on here? Is there really a new holy war? The universal software installer that's gonna be universal once we finally pick one. All of this, we'll explain it in the news segment. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? we got the picks. We've got the picks. So check this thing out. The ASM series automatic scrap monitoring system runs Linux. And I'm going to show you some pictures, Noah, and I want to see if you can guess what the automatic scrap monitoring system does that's so important. And I'll see if okay. you can find the Linux, too. So uh, this was sent in by Behemoth to the show. And he noticed this looked like a nice touch interface. You see where it says the system is ready to scan. And mm-hmm. then on the next image, he was able to get to a terminal, and you see he's got uh, he brings up the uh, uname dash a command there with a kernel Linux Linux kernel three dot two dot o, Ubuntu sixty four bit, and if we tab over one more, you can see there's an XFCE desktop with some icons on there. So Noah, the fact that he was able to get all of this on a touchscreen is actually pretty impressive to me. So let's not just glance right over that. I mean, this guy went to some work. I, well, I think the I think the device ships with Linux on it with this desktop just running. I don't know how he dropped down right, to it how, though. How do you get to the? How, so what I'm saying yeah, is, how do you get I don't to the know. Desktop on a touch device, I, like it, it that probably is, is designed good. to stay on the touch thing. So do you have a guess as to what the uh, ASM scrap monitoring system? Monitors if for. I have to guess, I would. Is it some sort of like a recycling thing? You bring the the recycling in, and then it, it you know somehow log it in. Is this is aluminum? This is that's paper, good. That's that a kind of good thing? guess. That's a good guess. I went to the docks, Noah. I went to the docks. The ASM radiation detection system. It's a oh. radiation detection system. Monitors a variety of vehicles uh, and undesirable sources of radiation commonly found in scrap metal and rejects them before they can cause harm to people, property, or product. And it yes. runs Linux. <laughs> What's kind of funny too is if you look, they've recreated like an old. LCD like screen. So this box right here is a color LCD touchscreen where they have put a green, like old style, uh, fake, like low res LCD monitor in there. Mm-hmm. And this is kind mm-hmm. of a weird way to design. So that's pretty cool. A radiation detector 
from Thermoscientific that runs Linux. Could you imagine that? That's well. They previously tried to run it on Windows, but then Windows Seven upgraded to Windows Ten, <laughs> and, and stuff missing nuclear yeah. things. Bombs were like getting through, and they're like, "Well, screw this. We got to go to Linux." Hey, Happy Father's Day to you, by the way. Thanks. Happy Father's Day to you too. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there too. So you know, legitimately, just a quick aside while we're talking about radiation detection, I was sharing the story on the on the pre-show. Um, I I guess this is true. You can look it up if you want to make like a super sensitive radiation detector. Mm-hmm. Do you know where you have to get the metal from to do to build that? Like there's a specific source we go to to get very very specific metal to build. I make r- mine out of unobtainium. Oh, good. Yeah, then you could drill to the bottom of the earth. Uh, it's your close. They have to mine it from pre World War II ships, like before we ever dropped the atomic bomb or did any nuke testing, because we raised the you know the average radiation level in the entire earth. And so, when you want to get metals that haven't been pre tainted, you go to the bottom of the ocean where these World War One. Steel ships are, are are all wrecked. It's it's kind of amazing, and makes you wonder what happens when we run out of steel down there. It's true fact. A little bit of trivia right here for you on the Linux Action Show. Wow. Not really related to Linux though, but it is pretty cool. I'll tell you what is related to Linux. Our first sponsor, DigitalOcean. Use the promo code. Here's the thing. All one word. Like you're slurring it to get a ten dollar credit. Then you spin up a Linux rig on demand in less than fifty five seconds. They have a KVM for the virtualizer sitting on top of Linux servers with SSDs for the disk. Tier 1 connections at their data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto, and a brand new one in India. And they have a great interface that's super intuitive for beginners or power users. And if you use our promo code, here's the thing. You can try out that $5 rig, two months for free, or use their hourly pricing. Just try something out for a bit. And then just put it in production when you're ready. They have a great UI. I mean, this thing is super nice. But one of the things we've moved over to using a lot more of now is their API. I don't, I mean, really, for a lot of the common day, everyday tasks, I don't really need to go to a web page. And there's a lot of ways you can interact with DigitalOcean using their pre-built API yourself, taking advantage of applications written around it, and then you just drop that in, either if it's an applet for your desktop or if it's an Android app or an iOS app on your phone or if it's an IRC chatbot. Like, there's all different ways you can use this API to turn machines on and off. The reason why I mention this is one of the things we've done at JB is we have decided to start using some more of the powerful uh, uh, droplets to do off-site encoding and rendering for some of our live streams. Now... These just inherently are more expensive rigs because they have more processing cores. But we don't need these computers running, these servers running, when we're not live. Like We can shut them down because we don't require that processing power. So we use that API to turn them on and off. So a lot of times we talk about the pricing of DigitalOcean in terms of monthly pricing, $5 a month. And you use our promo code, here's the thing, you get a $10 credit, two months for free. But in reality, I have started to transition more to really thinking about DigitalOcean as an hourly thing, things I turn on and off, infrastructure you just spin up. And then I start thinking, I've got a data center up in the cloud that I just spin up extra capacity when I need it and spin it down like a boss. Like I said, it's actually pretty cool. So that's where here's the thing could actually really stretch it out. Another example where uh, you could, using an Android app, and you want to, say, build a Minecraft server or a Mumble mm-hmm. server, you could mm-hmm. turn it on using your phone or your desktop applet, run it for a while, have a nice, powerful Minecraft server, and when you're not playing Minecraft, turn it off. You know, the other nice thing, too, is they <clears> – <throat> I don't know if you played with the imaging at all, but you're able to boot a server up, configure it exactly the way, way you want it, package it into an image, and then email that image to another person. And that person can then 
take that, that image and spit it back up onto a droplet. And it, it serves as kind of like a pre-configured. In fact, I just helped a guy do this the other day. He was in the chat room and he, he was, he was asking about how I had set a particular server up. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, I can show you how I did that. And so he goes, any chance you just give me, strip your stuff out and give me a copy of the droplet. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So we just packaged all that up and emailed him the, the image. And then he pulled it up on very his nice. DigitalOcean account and boom, he had the same server. Very nice. That's very nice. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code. Here's the thing to support the show and give yourself a credit. Thank you, DigitalOcean. And by the way, uh, they've really upgraded the team accounts. Well, this is like a whole, you know, this is something you and I should probably do. For a yeah, lot of we stuff. really should. I, I keep thinking about it, but I, I tried to, you have to use a different email address mm-hmm. than, than the, your normal one. And yeah. I'm like, that was a point where I was like, off to I think though, later. if we just sat down and did it, and yeah. then once we have it yeah. set up, the team accounts thing is pretty mm-hmm. cool. And they have, a, they have new documentation on that as well. Mm-hmm. So I got a pick that I think is really slick. You might like this one. It doesn't do your fancy cloud sync that you like. There's no proprietary lock-in service. I know oh, yeah. how you like it. You know to, me in the cloud. Yeah, you love that kind of stuff. I love the cloud Unfortunately, stuff, yeah. you could probably roll your own solution, but uh, this one is just writing files to a disk. So brace yourself, okay? It's called Task Warrior, and it's a free open-source software that manages your to-do list from the command line. Huh? Huh? What? What? Yeah, a to-do list manager, manager from the command line. How about that? Uh, it's unobtrusive. It's super easy. It's got a really nice, simple syntax you can use to just say, like, task, this, that. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you more here about it in a sec. And uh, it it's – think of this as, like, a task engine. And, and while, yes, you could communicate with this task engine right on your command line, you know, pull down mm-hmm. your pull down terminal, task, blah, 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 blah. However, like all good open source projects – Whenever you have a really good tool on the command line, lots of ways spring up to interact with this graphically. So I will present you a couple of them. PTask, which is a GTK plus graphical user interface for managing these. So now you have task management on the command line, or you launch the GUI, you also have GUI management. You can use both. This is kind of handy. But I take you one step further. How about an NCurses wrapper that gives you an entire NCurses interface on the command line for your command line tool? Task Warrior is cool, but it goes a step further. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you the total ninja kick drop right here. Task Whisper, an extension for GNOME that puts your task right in GNOME. And uh, for those of you watching the video, you can see this is actually a very nice extension. And again, works with the command line tool, so all this information is available on the command line. You could put it like in a sync thing folder or a Dropbox, I suppose. But look at that. You got, at, you got active completed. You got flags, different uh, status, different call, uh, color labels. You can expand it out right there in the GNOME drop-down menu. Are you digging that at all, Noah? Yeah, no. For so, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, I was using Chris's laptop the other day when we were in his RV, and like, it it just it dawns on me like how different we are as computer users because like every extension known to man is installed on his desktop. That is not every true. Every extension known to man, and I am the exact opposite. I'm like, what's the minimum amount of things I could install and get my work done? And like, I'm like, what's this? He's like, oh, that's a widget to do this, and that's the thing to do that. No, oh, if you yeah, want to know, that's partially is, true. Like, that is. So, so, I've been whittling it down. I'm not. I'm actually being very, very nice to you. There's, there's a lot more things. I'm not. But so the other thing that comes to mind is with this particular, this particular design. What I would do if I wanted to cloudify it, I'll put my nerd pants on, and they would spin up a DigitalOcean droplet, and then create a screen session, and then I could run task CLI in the screen session. That would be like cloudify. That'd be cloudifying the CLI. 
You could. You totally could. I just think this is uh, – I just thought – I just want to be able to come on Linux. The uh, chat room, uh, not, so, not so into it. But I think uh, command line task management is baller. So uh, there you go. Task Warrior is the command line component. And then you got P-Task. You got Task N and uh, the other task thing, which is the GNOME extension. If you hate it, that's fine. But if the idea of command line task management excites you, then you can go check it out. Otherwise, this might be for you. If you're like no, the reason the chat room isn't into it is because they are not. They, they have never been forced to live in the terminal for their jobs. And because if you have, the more things that you can get done from the terminal. Yeah. If you have to bang something out earlier, yeah. the better. Also, and it is the common denominator for me. The more things I, the more jobs I can put in my dropdown terminal. Yes, because dropdown yeah. terminal is always with me on whatever desktop I'm on, and dropdown terminal right is there. a tilde away. I, that's what I I, I yeah. map tilde, so I don't have to press any other modifiers. Just boom, boom, boom. Boom. Okay. So if you're like Noah and you're not into the cloud, you might be a little skeptical of all of the magic that machine learning and deep learning promise to bring us. Derp learning. I let it slip on one of our recent episodes that I think of it as derp learning. And then I, I love that idea so much. I think somebody in the audience was, at least a few folks resonated with the audience because like Pong Funch here created a derp learning browser extension much like cloud to butt extension this is deep to derp browser extension so anywhere where you see deep learning on the web will now be converted to derp learning nice free open source browser extension for chromium and chrome there you go that is our open source spotlight right there derp learning come on Noah, are you gonna do it no. You combine this with cloud to butt and I, I don't, learning. I have not seen up until uh, I had not even heard of the term. Don't you remember how confused I was at that episode? Like you go back. It's like Noah's wandering around in a zoo and doesn't know his way out. That's how confused I was. This is uh, I have never heard of deep learning prior. Well, to you will. It is, seen- it's a legitimate thing. It is a it is a into it. I think you're about to. I think it's I think it's going to be. The, the big buzz, because it's like the ultimate services lock-in. Well, coming full circle, Chris, I don't have an extension for everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got me there. <laughs> I don't need an extension for this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, all right. I might have an extension problem. It's just, I like all the things. Okay. I know. Why do they make I an extension noticed. system if I can't have all the things? <laughs> I'm not really an extension crazy person. Things are popping up. Windows are flashing around. So, drop things are coming down. Text is flashing. I'm like, does that mean that I'm on the internet? He's like, no, no. That means that. What, what did it mean? The thing that counts down and then it like does something. And <laughs> I can't even tell what's going on in your computer anymore. I'm like, it's it's giving me a millisecond response time. You're talking about my ping don't... time indicator, which is like one of the most useful extensions ever, dude. It's like the so in my gnome bo- in my gnome uh, menu bar, I have. Uh, the ping time uh, indicator, which just gives me a uh, an immediate uh, report back. So right now, oh geez, like right now it's excessively high. Right now it's thirty two milliseconds to ping uh, to ping uh, Googs, uh, which is usually for me it's around eight. So it's like I'm surprised we're not dropping the stream right now. Um, yeah, and I find that. But see, during live shows, people look over there. And then the other thing I like is uh, Bitcoin indicator. I know when to sell yeah. it all. 
That's nice. Yeah. Too. <laughs> so what you're saying is, like the thousand times a week, I'm like Bitcoin's up to this now. I know. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I usually got. I usually have an eye on it. Yeah. So it's my ping time uh, to uh, Google's DNS. You ping whatever makes sense to you. I just. It doesn't for me. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as I know what's baseline for it to be normal and what's baseline yeah. for it to be odd. And so a 34 millisecond ping time right now is extremely high. And usually that's when I know something's, something's about to go down. Uh, hey, you know, speaking of, uh, like, uh, extensions and, and badges, how about stickers? JupiterBroadcasting.com slash stickers. We, we decided to put up a stickers page if you guys want to buy, like, uh, like, the last logo or unplugged. These are nice vinyl stickers. The, the Linux Action Show one is round and cut. To, so, so it's a round cut. goes nice on your laptop. Also, the TechSnap logo is a nice cut, too. If you want my face, there's the Tech Talk today. If you want to support the BSD Now and support the BSD Now logo. Or just a JB logo, which the JB one goes nice on the back of like a cell phone case. Actually, I put the JB one like diagonally on the corner of my laptop. Yeah, nice. And then yeah, and then I put the Linux Action shows uh, the colorful one right in the center. I really that's I, like. Personally, that's what I think looks the best. I really like uh, the last sticker. I, I'm really, I really like our logo there. Uh, so the chat room's asking why is it four dollars and one cent? Well, uh, so two things. We to try to make like a dollar profit on these. Our Angela's going to hand. Uh, stuff these and mail them herself. And so, if you want a couple, probably save her the trouble order a couple at a time so that way she doesn't have to do a whole bunch of envelopes. But whatever, you know, you do what you do. Uh, and the price, 401 is because I think the stickers cost us like almost $3. And then the one cent is so that way we can track it to see if this is actually something you guys like in a report just really easily. And if, if it's something that people seem to be interested in, then we will actually put more time into stickers. Not that these, these, all these, every sticker we have is a nice vinyl sticks well sticker, but we could do more with, with them. And really importantly, because this is huge for your stickers as compared to the ones that you get at conferences. And I know because I have both, they don't leave residue. So if you peel it off your computer, it will come all the way off and, and it doesn't matter how long they've been on there you can peel those stickers off and they don't leave like that's nice it's, it's, they don't split and then leave like the goo on there and then the sticker part comes off that doesn't mm-hmm. happen on yours yeah so it's jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers if you want to grab one for any of the shows there and uh yeah it's just you know a lot of people like to put them on the laptops and stuff or whatever mm-hmm. and i do so thought well if we want and, we, and also we want to be able to grab stickers for ourselves pretty easily <laughs> okay so also all our past picks jupiterbroadcasting.com slash las picks if you want to set up a new rig we also have some great old android picks there they're still fine apps but with all of that done let's do the news the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com why don't you all go to last.ting.com las.ting.com to save yourself some money either on a new phone or on your ting service if you bring a phone and support the show last.ting.com ting's awesome and simple to understand it's just you pay for what you use mobile they don't do contracts they don't do any of that kind of crazy stuff it's just your minutes your messages and your megabytes six dollars from the line plus uncle sam sneaky take and that's all you pay and I love this because I'm able to bring devices on and off as we need them. Uh, Noah, you know, Noah has seen me do this. And uh, in fact, I kind of learned from Noah, really, where I'll have, with SIM cards being like nine bucks, I'll have a device that maybe I want on, on for like two, three months for testing, just, you know, as for the show. And when I'm done with it, I can turn that off. There's no contract I have to cancel. There's no agreement that I have to end, nothing like that. And if I have a device, I just, Bring it over. And if you go to last.ting.com, you'll get a $25 credit. There's a lot of different devices you can go with. I often will talk about their uh, feature phones, which are like under 50 bucks, some of them, or just the SIM card. But, you know, I think this week 
I think I'm gonna I'm gonna mention uh, not only do they have the uh, 5x of course uh, and the OnePlus, but they uh, and the Moto X Pure Edition. But you know, also I I really think if if uh, you're up for like a phone that's gonna last for a while. I think get one of the Nexuses. You can either get it from the Play Store. The 5X has been on sale this weekend. Or you can get, like, the 6P. You can buy it directly. You can choose CDMA or GSM with these phones. You get a pure Android experience, which, in reality, that just means you don't get all that weird customizations that the OEMs put on there. But more importantly, at least for me, and this is why I'm, I'm really starting to take the position, I, I don't mind Android. What it is is I, I mind all of the interference and anything that prevents me from getting security updates. I don't want the nagging feeling that my phone is a walking security nightmare. At the same time, I don't want to live in 1997. Uh, for me, it is extremely useful when I'm on a road trip to actually have a fast, modern, capable smartphone. It's, it's kind of essential. And, and I just couldn't really square these two things. Does that mean I can only have an iPhone forever? I can only work with iOS because I can't stand security blocks from, like, Samsung and LG, even if they just delay it a little bit. I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. And with Ting and the Nexus devices, you know this, No, I'm preaching to the choir, uh, nothing sits any between you and those updates. I get my monthly updates directly, and, I, and I, have, I have moved SIMs between Nexus devices several times. I just pull it out, I put it in that mm-hmm. Nexus device. When you brought back the Nexus 5, I put the SIM in there, I'm using it for a bit. And I got the mm-hmm. 5X, I put the SIM in there, I'm using it. I, 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 really, I really think the combination of these unlocked phones that you own outright, that you buy directly from Google, or Ting if you want, but I bought mine directly from Google. I put the Ting SIM card in there. I'm only paying for what I use. I can take advantage of all of the features of Android and get the security updates. Mm-hmm. And I could, if I need to, switch to GSM or CDMA at any time. Now, they got a lot of great devices, but I just I think the combination here, if you are a technically literate user who's aware of things like some of the security issues with the OEM platforms, but wants a good Android experience, going with something like the Moto X Pure Edition or one of the Nexus devices and putting it on the Ting network is a great combination. Now, of course, the iPhone and the feature phones are great too, but I, I, I think the combination of those is the best Android experience you can get and you also get to support the show by going to last.ting.com. You know another decent place to buy phones? You know where I bought, you know, actually, you know where I bought this? eBay? B&H Photo. Oh, yeah. They they actually list, like, all of the frequencies, the GSM frequencies that it supports. And you nice. can look on Ting, and it will tell you which bands you need to support to work on Ting. Well, or, of course, you can get the, because they're an MVNO T-Mobile, you can get their information as well. But then you can go into B&H and sort phones and say, I need this band, this band, this band, this band. And I actually, I found this particular phone, not only does it support all of the bands on for Ting, but it also supports all of the bands worldwide. So when I travel internationally, I can just buy a SIM at a store and throw it in there and use my existing smartphone anywhere I am, anywhere in the world. Then I come back, put it back on Ting and it works. So Jason wrote in, he said, Ting saved the day. Hey, Chris and Noah, I have a story about Ting. I was at a convention last year when I saw a panel being presented by a great artist I knew. I wanted to show him the book I had been working on. While I had my laptop with me, I did not have Scribulus installed, or Scribus, and I couldn't show him the book. Also, I could not use the Wi-Fi in the hotel. Luckily, I could use the tethering on my mobile phone because I used Ting. I was able to download and install Scribus and then show him the book. He liked it, and I was proud. And mine, that man died last week, and I'm thankful that there are services like Ting that can help you out in a pinch. That's a great point to mention, too, is they don't really have an agenda here. If you want to turn on hotspot or tethering, just, just turn it on. It's just, it's just your data. They're not gonna, you don't have to have like a special shared data plan or a, a special authorization. You don't have to call in and ask permission to turn on tethering. If that feature is built into your phone, you just check the box, and that's one of the 
have a five-year-old and you don't want him to have the ring, you can't go into the dashboard yes. and turn off. They have a great dashboard. <laughs> that ring, which That's great. a great point to mention as well. So we've been talking a lot about NextCloud these days. And guess what? NextCloud 9, already available. And the enterprise functionality is migrating over to open source. How about that for a fast turnaround there, Noah? Boomsies. Already shipped version 9, the next version, trying to keep that momentum going. Got the rebranding in there. Got a new updated Android app. Now, do you have an existing own cloud instance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I, have, you... I stopped using it about a month ago or two. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, I did. So I have, I have a, I've gone back to own cloud like heavily, like yeah. to the point that like all my main major files are, are in an own cloud instance. And I've not gotten bitten yet. But my dilemma is I understand that they are actually offering to allow you to upgrade straight from own cloud right into next cloud. So the transition is supposed to be super smooth. And I'm not super crazy about doing it, but I feel like I should just for show content. Yeah, and Josh made an article about it that I have linked in the show notes if people want. Yeah, you should try it because I have it in there. This mm-hmm. is kind of a good thing I like. I don't know. Maybe this is one of the changes they are talking about. They've introduced a bug bounty program for NextCloud. Now, how about this? This is great. And here's what's really nice about it. Some actual money is being talked about. In fact, they're going to reward up to $5,000 for qualifying vulnerabilities. And they've partnered with the HackerOne platform, which is a very, very um, fastly growing platform where different companies go to submit themselves to say, hey, you know, we, there's a ranking system here and a social network, and people come in and they, they identify themselves. Here's their credentials. There's a claiming system, so that way you can claim it, and uh, they, they handle all of that. Uh, so this is actually a super smooth move because the HackerOne platform is already an existing established place you can go to with an existing community. In fact, they touch on that a little bit. There's 3,000 members over there who have uh, res- reported over 24,000 bugs via the platform. So that's a great idea. And they, there's a quote where they say, we're thrilled to welcome NextCloud to the HackerOne community and have the opportunity again to work with Lucas. Uh, their experience with open source and running competitive bug, bug, bug pro- bounty programs at scale is sure to benefit NextCloud and the security for its customers, which I think is probably true. So here's where the payout. For a low vulnerability, you get 250 bucks, like a, a limited disclosure of user data a- attacks involving a, high, a highly unlikely user interaction course. Limited disclosure of user data attacks that are easier to get to, like a cross-site uh, scripting vulnerability, $750. Gain access to complete user data or other user data, $2,000. Gaining remote code wow. execution on the server or, or as, an un, uh, uh, as an unlogged-in user, unauthenticated. If you can get code execution as an unauthenticated user, you get $5,000. You know what's great about that is in addition to actually solving problems, if they find them, even if they don't find problems, it is a constant PR thing for them. They can say, listen, I can guarantee you $2,000 worth that there's nobody out there that can find access to your data. Because if there was, we'd be paying them two grand, and we are not paying them two grand, or we'd be broke. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, that's true. Like every year, they're in business. It says something about their security, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think that's a, I think it's a really nice to see them do that. Uh, all right, so this is an, uh, th- so that was really one of the big stories this week. I think the other really big story that there was a couple of rumors that it was coming, but it, it hit pretty hard. Uh, that was Canonical announced that they have done some work to make snap packages install on pretty much everybody's distro of choice, including uh, Arch and including OpenSUSE and including Fedora in copper. And um, we talked about it on Linux Unplugged a little bit, but a lot has happened since that. And so I wanted to start out from the end user's perspective because uh, not in the butt, put it very well on our subreddit, <laughs> he said, 
Uh, what am I missing as a user regarding the excitement over all these competing new universal packaging standards? So we have a couple of major competing standards right now. And I know a lot of you are thinking, this is nothing new. We've had universal software available on Linux. It's never taken off. I'm not even sure why we're even talking about this. I'll tell you this. And I, I was really – I tried to touch on this to a lot of people's dissatisfaction in my Ubuntu 16.04 review uh, where I said the, the state of software installation is, is not super good on Ubuntu. There's a couple of dynamics at play. We are coming from a background in Linux where we have used software repositories for a very long time now. And it was truly one of the most innovative things that Linux did. It was before anybody else had an app store. It was well well before even uh, mobile devices had an app store. And we had things like Synaptic. And we had early versions of the Ubuntu apps, app store, which shipped before commercial platforms had them. And the idea that you could install an operating system and then all the software you'd want for it would be automatically updated once it's installed via the repository. And the idea that there were these package maintainers that were curating the best of the packages and making sure it worked for the platform and then distributing that out to end users was truly one of Linux's most innovative things for software distribution. There, was, there are major downsides. Like last week's episode mm-hmm. showed you, uh, when I, when, and it's not, a, it's not a surprise to any of us, but when I tried to do anything software-related on that 10-year-old installation on Ubuntu Edgy, or it was Dapper Drake, wasn't it? Um, nothing worked. Nothing I'll worked. Give you, no, no. I'll, I'll give you a case example where it's actually it would cost me money. I had a client a week and a half ago, a week ago, that we were out there and they had they because of the industry that they're in, they are required to run twelve oh four, and so they have uh, they have uh, hundreds of twelve oh four machines in deployment, and a few of the people were using an own cloud instance, and the own cloud client is no longer available in the repository yeah. for. For twelve oh four, so we we just can't install the client. And if I had a a deb that I would have saved to a USB drive or or on you know on a, on a public you know net you know network drive or something like that, we could have installed it. But because the repository is offline, it's, well, go screw yourself. I, I guess you don't get old cloud. I think what we're I think what we're coming up against is there is a certain class and category of software that doesn't really benefit from being part of a distribution repository. And then there are huge categories of software that do, like the base operating system, the GNU tools, mm-hmm. all of the essential mm-hmm. building blocks really make sense as part of a package-managed system. Mm-hmm. The other big pressure we have right now that is, is only really apparent unless you talk to developers is mm-hmm. they really want to be the ones to distribute software from their websites. Right, because right. they lose control over their packages. Good or bad, I think there's probably 30 reasons why that's bad. But from their perspective, they want to control distribution. They want to count mm-hmm. download stats. And you could argue that there is a large momentum by end users to uh, – when they, they want to search the web and they just want to download something. You know, like when they get a new machine, they want to search the web and like just go to Google, type in Steam, click search, find a download link for Steam, and download it off the web. And then they want to double-click that package and they want it to install and run. And that's just the momentum and expectation they have from two very large commercial platforms that literally have – a billion users combined compared to Linux's small percentage of the market. So there's a lot of things that are putting pressure on the traditional software distribution. And then lastly, these same developers don't really want to bother packaging for all the different distributions. So they generally only target one distribution or don't bother at all. But the real big problem we're trying to solve is universal application compatibility. One file you download, you can install it on just about 
every single Linux distribution. And there's three solutions that actually have a lot of possibility. We're really on the precipice of something here. The one that we've been talking about the most is XDG App, now renamed to Flatpak. The other one we've been talking about the most is App Image. There's already some open source projects that are packaging up like uh, OpenShot is packaged, packaged with App Image. Uh, Flatpak is, um, is, is based around a GNOME uh, 3.20 runtime environment that you can target, and it's a shared runtime environment, so you have it installed on a machine, and then Flatpaks are written towards that environment. You update one runtime, you update, update one environment, and everything gets updated that, that depends on that. And uh, Flatpak is, was mostly developed by Red Hat and uh, had probably the most mindshare besides snap packages, which uh, until this week were really only designed to run on Ubuntu 16.04. Mm-hmm. That changed when different members, like I know, for example, uh, Blackout24 in our chat room in the subreddit, and he's you probably seen him all over Reddit. I believe he approached Canonical with some questions about trying to get SnapD working on Arch. And it was through working with pe- people like Blackout24 and through that process that there was some momentum to get it working on these other distros. And then Canonical started looking at it and said, it looks like if we package it for these few distros, we'll have it run on everybody's. We have, we have, we'd have snap packages running for every distribution. So they did that groundwork, and then they put it all together with a nice like, a set of uh, interviews with different news outlets and announced it to the world. So it's got to have people asking, like, what are the benefits and the downsides for average day users, like Not in the Butt, right here on our subreddit did. Uh, and he wanted to know if there was, uh, if there was like, a lot of overhead with it. So we'll explain some of this. I will preface at this point that all of this technology is super new, and there is – a lot of people going to their different camps and setting up uh, the, uh, the war posts. That said, we'll cover the news as it happened, and then we'll discuss it. So um, on June 17th, Ars Technica, uh, a lot of others, like here's The Verge, app distribution for Linux just got way better. <laughs> everybody! Here it comes. The snaps are here. The snaps are here. Ubuntu snap package format now works on a bunch of other popular Linux distros, including Arch, Debian, Fedora, and the Ubuntu flavors. It's also coming to CentOS, Mint, OpenSUSE, and even OpenWRT. Uh, and so that was an example of some of the coverage. Here's another example. Ubuntu snap package may be the future of software installation on every Linux PC. Oh, That's from PC World right there. Uh, so some really nice out-of-the-gate press. And as you would imagine, whenever there's a competing standard announced in the Linux community, there is a massive amount of blowback. And uh, we'll cover some of that. But before we get there, I want to give you the perspective of a package maintainer. This is the package maintainer for Corita. And uh, he writes in here, here's my take, speaking of someone who's actually releasing software to end users for all these newfangled systems. He's looked at AppImage and Snappy and whatnot. The old RPM deb way of packaging is excellent for creating the base system. For software, where having the latest version doesn't matter that much for productivity and things like that. It's a system that's been used for about 20 years and served us reasonably well. But if you're developing software for an end user that is regularly updated, where the latest version is important because it always has improvements to let the users do more work... It's a problem. It's not a ghastly drag having to actually make the packages if you're not part of the – it's a ghastly drag if you're not part of the distribution. And having to make packages for several distributions is not feasible for a small team. Snap turns out to be pretty easy to make and pretty easy to upload to Ubuntu's app store and pretty easy to find once it's there. 
seeing that we're already more than 1,000 downloads after a few days, seems to have some traction, too. And they do have an app store you could check out right now. It's called uappexplorer.com, and you can filter just based on snaps. Some of the snaps that are already available today are things like NextCloud 9 and VLC. This NextCloud, this NextCloud, NextCloud 9 installation comes with the web server and all the stuff you need set up. There's uh, Telegram is on here, HTOP, KeyPass, a lot of VLC. A lot of things are getting packaged up right now into snaps. There's, there's a lot of things that are being created. Now, you have to imagine, though, the, fo- the folks behind Flatpak, not so happy about that. So we go to the Fedora team and see some of the reaction. And this is where things get a little off the rails. Now, this is posted to the Fedora mailing list. And the subject line is Fedora, Fedora Development of Snap Packages. And he writes... And by the way, uh, this is uh, Michael. He writes, what's going on is Canonical beat us to the market and development, and now their marketing folks have beat us in marketing too. We, of course, have zero plans to adopt Snappy and Fedora. And in fact, multiple Fedora developers are working on a competing solution called Flatpak. We have not considered and need to discuss whether to allow Snapcore package into Fedora proper. There is a strong argument to be made that we should accept all free software, but doing that could undercut our Flatpak effort. If popular upstream start distributing snaps, then we'll probably have to support it, though. So in the mailing list, they're even talking about potentially blocking the core snappy packages from Fedora because of competing reasons. Now, that was quickly dismissed in further mailing lists. But uh, Noah and I, uh, we're familiar uh, with Adam. Adam is a Red Hat employee. And uh, he, to his blog, sort of echoed some of this uh, Fedora sentiment. He he knows this is personal, and I like Adam, but uh, he obviously has a bit of a dog in this hunt. And I want to break down some of this because I don't I don't really know who which we it's so early to get to pick a side on a particular standard seems from our position a little silly. But obviously, the people that are writing the software very much consider their next universal installation package to be the best one, and they have different Mm -hmm. ideas and different core concepts. And so Mm -hmm. Adam uh, writes here. He says. You may have read some stuff this week about application delivery mechanism called Snappy and how it's going to unite all distributions and kill apt and RPM. Okay, a couple of I have a couple of first of all, the goal is not to kill apt and RPM. They don't they wouldn't even these things wouldn't even work without apt and RPM. But secondly, uh, it's not Snappy. It's Snap packages. Snappy is a version of Ubuntu that can be atomically updated completely. That's Snappy. Snappy is a type of Ubuntu. These are Snap packages. He says, to put it diplomatically, this is a healing steaming pile of bullshit. You may not be surprised to learn that said pile has been served by the canonical press department. He goes on, the press release and the stories together give you the strong impression that this thing called Snappy, again, it's not called Snappy, is going to be the cross-distribution future of application delivery. And it's all ready for us to use today, and lots of major distributions are buying into it. He goes on to cite like how they kind of talk about this, and they do. Uh, Canonical does infer that the other distributions were involved in the porting of Snap packages. So he's right there. First, let's be clear: Snappy, again, it's not Snappy. That's like that's like that's like calling that's like putting a big D at the end of System D. And it does kind of matter when you're making a technical argument. It does kind of matter that you actually know the name of the thing you're arguing against. Not that he's mm-hmm. wrong, but it does kind of matter. Like the name matters. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's be clear. He says Snappy is a canonical project. The press release was issued, I think, sort of as it came from sort of an independent or cross vendor project. There's a Snapcraft I.O. site to back up that impression. But every Snappy committer is a canonical employee, and contributions to Snappy. Again, and Snapdy require signing the canonical CLA. 
He's right there, too. It does require signing the CLA. The sum total of communication between Canonical and Fedora before this, release of, before this press release was they mailed us asking out a process about the process of packaging Snappy for Fedora, and we told them about the main packaging process and copper. They certainly didn't in any way or form tell Fedora that they were going to send out a press release strongly implying that Fedora, along with every other distro in the world, was a happy traveler on the Snappy bandwagon. There are more than 20 other committers to Flatpak, most of whom are not Red Hat employees. Uh, and Flatpak is not under a CLA. Now, uh, apparently, uh, Adam was not aware of AppImage either. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the, the, uh, the, the headlines and some of this stuff, it's funny how we go there. Uh, so, like uh, Adam's, Adam's post, the headline of Adam's post was, on Snappy and Flatpak, Business as usual in the canonical propaganda department. Is it is it propaganda if if one distribution works on something and makes it available for all the other distros, and then right. does a big press release about that? I mean, that does. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's. So when I go to the Flatpak site, I mean, because I feel like if you if you go by that logic, and I go to the Flatpak site, and I go to flatpak.org, on flatpak.org it says the future of application distribution. The days of chasing multiple Linux distributions are over. Standalone apps for Linux are here. That feels like that could be considered propaganda to me because that implies that Ubuntu is in. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's egocentrism. It's it's, it's it's predictable and and a little unfortunate how we all have gone to our own sides already and are already fighting over this. Now, fundamentally, well, go ahead. No, fundamentally, I think we're moving towards something that would be really good for Linux, despite some of the the downsides to users downloading software directly from the web and installing it. And it does make Linux more of a common platform. It means we could be entering a future where you have a you release an application for Linux, and then anybody running the Linux desktop can run it. And I I think for us that have been here for a long time, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. That doesn't seem like it's a game changer, and it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I I actually think there's enough motivation now around mm-hmm. the Ubuntu platform and around getting things on Linux and Internet of Things devices. Mm-hmm. I actually think so, it is going to happen, I mean, and I think one of these so is going to be the standard. We do, we do. If you've worked in Linux, especially if you worked on trying to convert people to Linux, and you're aware of the first, inevitably the first problem that you run into, which is people say, "Well, how do I find the package for Linux?" And then they go to the Google and they'll type in, "I want to find Evernote for Linux," and then they look for a .tux or .lin to, to double click on and install their Linux package. And of course, we know that you need to look for a distribution specific package, which really makes every distribution almost like its own operating system. But let me tell you why. I think that this is actually not as great of a thing as as we're all making it out to be. So I was I actually talked to a couple of developers this weekend about some of these things. And and first of all, they agreed with what, you know, the first part of what you said, they don't want to lose control over that packaging. They don't want to lose control over their software. And it's difficult for them to get newer versions <clears throat> if it's being controlled by a repository. But to make an example of why this isn't such a great thing, first of all, especially, you know, so you're on Arch, right? Mm-hmm. Snap Snap packages, to the best of my understanding, rely on AppArmor or SE Linux, neither of which come by default in Arch. So you're gonna have so if if you're going to if that's gonna be a thing that's going to be available on Arch, then you're gonna have to make sure that you take responsibility for giving that security. I don't know if that's actually true. So when I install uh Snap on Arch, it installs a companion um package called Snap Deconfine. And I think okay. that I think that is the confinement aspect of snap packages on 
Arch. Right now, okay. depending on the distro, uh-huh. there is for some distros there is no confinement currently with snap packages. Uh-huh. Now uh, that would seem to be a, a deterrent, but or a bad you know a, a negative to snap packages. Mm-hmm. But well, that, that's just one. I've got more. There's hold on, the, but there is currently there is snap package isolation at least to to my knowledge. Absolutely, on, with the exception of what X can do, on Ubuntu 16.04 and on Arch, there mm-hmm. is no isolation at the moment implemented in Flatpak. There is absolute support and intended planning. I have links and reference documentation in the show notes for this. Uh, right. But there, at the moment, Flatpak has no container, no isolation. And again, it's not about containers. People in the suburb are like, oh, containers right. are the future. This is not about containers necessarily. Right. Fla- uh, Flatpak's... I mean, there is container technology used here to isolate the processes out to make them safe and secure. So there mm-hmm. is that. And uh, snap packages mount as a file system inside, inside a, uh, uh, an image file um, mm-hmm. that is then closed, and those are contained separately. But anyways, go on, continue. So, uh, so let's take a look at this is the, this is the build for gedit, right? And the problem, if, if you look at it, and I'm, I'm not a developer, but having spoken to developers, it defines a dependency tree, you have a configure stage, and then it runs make. So it's, it's a very simple, straightforward build structure. And, and essentially, my, the best of my understanding is you can copy and paste these things from one project to the other. Um, and the problem is when you look at these universal builders, what you're going to find is that that the developer has to be aware of the environment and and the variables that that they're building for when you look at something like snap packages or actually any of these universal installers those developers are going to forego that and they're going to develop for one system and so if you look at this this is a build for um adam and it's it's there's not a build system there. They're, they have they have completely forgone it, and thus it's a gigantic mess. And the problem is, you will start to see a loss of functionality because a lot of the customization options that are available from the developers are not going to be taken into account when they build for this single one-time, one-use kind of a thing, and you you wind up just kind of foregoing the build system altogether. And so I think that we need to approach this with a little bit of caution, and it's it's a great avenue, it's a great approach. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it, and I'm not saying that it isn't filling a huge hole in Linux, but I am saying that there are a number of very serious disadvantages that I don't think are being widely talked about, yeah. and there I are some advantages would... to having distri- different distributions. I don't, think, I don't think what you're describing um, are disadvantages. I think what you are describing are certain edge cases where they are disqualifiers for making them candidates for this type of packaging. I think what, we'll, I think what we're going to come to is a happy sort of balancing point where, we're, where we'll decide, and it'll just be obvious at some point, these types of applications are distributed in this universal packaging format, and these types of applications are distributed via my package manager. I think there's going to be a real temptation for developers to say, I'm not going to bother with packaging for that distribution in this one. I'll just, I'll put it into a snap. We'll yeah. get some of the good yeah, defaults that most people yeah. use and we'll send it. That's bad. But, that's that, bad. but how is that, how is that different? See, this is why, I, this is why I believe this is going to take off. Not necessarily disagreeing with some of the things you're saying. And I think sometimes when I do this, people, people think I'm like promoting one particular thing. I'm just, mm-hmm. I just see the inevitability of it. That's all. And so it just seems obvious to me what's going to happen because all you have to do is look at Docker. Look at the history of Docker. What made mm-hmm. Docker what made Docker successful? Was it the idea Don't and concept of a container? Forever. No. Mm-hmm. Containers and jails had been around for decades. It wasn't right. it wasn't the core technology of Docker. It mm-hmm. was I could take this super complicated ass setup 
this right. entire stack of this super crazy open source program, and maybe I'm a web developer, and I got a MacBook Pro, and I've got my little crappy macOS terminal open, and I've SSH'd into my real computer, which is my Linux box, but mm-hmm. that's about as far as I know how to get. I'm not trying to be rude. Right. I'm literally yeah. trying to describe what I picture to be a large majority of developers these days. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Right. I love you. And then they Docker deploy an image of their entire stack of software they need, and they jump mm-hmm. in that Docker container, and they have at it. Mm-hmm. This is that same problem solved by universal software installations. For example, say tomorrow you and I got a wild hair that we wanted to try out the latest Plasma 5 desktop. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? The Neon guys are working on packaging up the entire KDE desktop as a single uh, snapper app image. Mm-hmm. I also happen to know there's other desktop environments that you and I use on a regular basis that are also in the process of snapping up the entire desktop environment. You download a snap package, and you have that entire desktop environment installed in seconds. I'm not mm-hmm. saying this is necessarily a great idea, but that taking something that used to be a very complicated process on Linux. Leo Laporte mm-hmm. broke his Oryx when he yeah. tried to go to GNOME Within a couple from, of hours. from Unity, right? Yeah. He broke it yeah. because it was a problem with LightDM and GDM. Right. Uh, this is not something that average users have co- have nailed when they want to do complicated software installation and removal. Mm-hmm. In fact, Noah, I-, I know several Linux users I've switched that their solution to managing software on Linux is to never uninstall anything ever. They will yep. install yep. software, yep. but they will never, ever uninstall software. Right. Um, yeah, of course. And they, these problems are 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 solved by this universal package model. And and the, and one last thing, the other reason why I think it's inevitable is because a company like Canonical is savvy enough to already be out in the community and actively working with these killer apps to get them right. to start packaging up in snaps today. Yep. So yep. they're already making the calls, and they're already so in in Adam's post, Adam's like. Part of the reason Adam does, he says he doesn't accept snap packages is because Canonical didn't do the proper thing. They didn't go to conferences for two years and talk to all of us and get all of us to switch from our thing that we invented to your thing that you invented. And because they didn't spend two years at conferences talking to us in person, I can't support this because they didn't follow the process. Well, maybe they're following a different process. Maybe they've created something like, hey, you know what? Even if they only kept it on Ubuntu, we're going to have some momentum here. Oh, we can make it for other distros too. Great. Now they've already got it. They've got the obvious path there. The, The development process doesn't seem like some sort of evil scheme. It seems like it's solving an obvious problem. It's already gonna have a lot of momentum behind it. I think a lot of people end up using these. And I think what you're talking about there mm-hmm. is going to be just disqualifiers. I think things like either Adam will get, will, they'll clean it up and they'll make it easy to ship, or it'll just be something that doesn't ever ship as a snap package or an app see, image. See, I think, I think they'll all eventually snip, ship as snap packages. I agree with you. And I also agree that it definitely fills the void. All I'm saying is that I think that we are going to see a compromise because developers aren't going to take the time. They're no longer going to take the time to put them in all the various places that we have them now. They'll just be available in this one little free think, container thing. And, and I think that if you want it after that, you'll end up having to compile from source. I, I feel like... This is not a super great argument because there is already so many variables when you're targeting the Linux desktop that the only way this works is if you custom build your application, what you're talking about. Like, you're, tra- you're talking about turning on certain features to take advantage of a newer version of GTK or, or take whatever advantage is, yeah. of GPU acceleration or whatever it might be that's Whatever specific. it is that makes that application yeah. run more, uh, right. more in tunely with uh, Antrigos as opposed to Ubuntu, which are yeah. wildly different animals. So to try and condense that down into a common denominator means that you essentially strip a lot of stuff but out, right? 
anything you have at anything you have at scale like Google Chrome or Firefox, mm-hmm. they can't they can't rely on that. They can't rely on some package maintainer that they don't even know the name of. No, uh, of course not. Of, of course so, not. And so it's better than nothing. But I'm just saying, like it becomes an it becomes almost too easy of an out for developers. So they're no longer mm-hmm. they're no longer considering all of the environmental variables. They're simply just saying mm-hmm. we just build and push, build and push, build and push. I think people that are least likely to benefit are users like me who are on a rolling release where I have an AUR and I just right. pull from that all the time and I don't have to worry about having a three-year-old installation of Linux that doesn't have the newest XYZ. I mm-hmm. think – On I, the other hand – I think guys like you on the other hand, I bet Teamwork starts working if it's packages as a snap. Well, and honestly, uh, we were talking about doing our Fedora review earlier today. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know if we should do it because, like, it's going to be two, three weeks before I can install anything like Telegram on Fedora because right. i got to wait for all the uh, repos to catch Mumble. up. And, and Mumble. And I'm like, Mumble. yeah, or we could just install Fedora and then just install the Telegram snap and be done. Like, it's yeah. already solving a problem on Fedora mm-hmm. today. Uh, and that's – that. That aspect of it is just that's under, that's you can't beat that. Well, the other thing is, too, is if I could say, and I'm not trying to hate on on these universal installers. In fact, if you go back and watch last, there's numerous times I've said we needed a universal installer. But I am simply trying to take the other side of it to show that there is another side of it. But if I had a website and I can say, go to this website and here's where you get all your software. Just go to the website. You can download Skype and Telegram and Evernote and whatever else are all in this site here. That's really, really, really game changing for the Linux desktop. Like, I think, really changing. I think the the big problems we still have to face. Uh, I, my big questions around snap packages are: uh, what happens with the back end? Are they going to open that up? Will they be pressured to open that up, or can we just do our own reimplementations of it? Um, because you can download snap packages and install them all independently of the snap store backend. But if you want them searchable and indexable and just be able to snap install command line kind of stuff, you got to have right. it in that back end. Well, Canonical has that closed up. They control that. That's an issue. I think the CLA is another issue. And I think, I mean, what's it going to take? At, at what point... Can we all work together? <laughs> yeah. At what point is Canonical going to go, geez, you know, this CLA has just been a noose around our yeah. neck for a decade now. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of this thing. And uh, what, what positive aspect has it brought? Well, it gives them clear legal grounds to well, have I know that. a but huge where, success. Where, is that, where has that been? Give me an example of where that's been hugely beneficial. I think, where so, has the millions of dollars been saved from legal battles from the project that would have sued them? if they, I just Here's the scenario. I'm Here's, I'm going to tell you. Here's the scenario. This is why I think they should just give up. The scenario is the Ubuntu phone goes gangbusters, becomes the number three platform in the world, literally has 500 million users, and they want to relicense all of that to protect themselves legally and to own that IP. They want to be able to, they want to, be able to have contributors send, send, in, send in patches, and then they, build, they want to be able to relicense it if they need to. They're not going to take but away yours. where does it actually happen, though? That's my when, point. When, That's yeah, why I when, think they need to become – so it's so funny because they, they, they are – they do work with the community. They, they are a community-oriented company. I mean you look at the development of the Ubuntu phone platform. It's mm-hmm. so integrated with the community. It so depends on the community and yet the CLA is such an anti-community thing that right. it – it is the it is the manifestation of the very fact that they just don't go all in. You can tell they can't go all in, and that's mm. the I think that's why the Linux community has such a negative reaction to that CLA is because it's an indicator that you're not really going to go all in with us. Um, get in bed all the way and take your underwear off too. Let's do this thing. And Canonical's like, I'm an ever nude. I like being in bed with you guys, and but I'm not taking off my underwear. That's where Canonical's at right now, and it's we can all see it. We can all see they got this really tacky underwear on. And we're like. 
That's a, that's something that's sticking that's out. A, yeah, that's quite the analogy. Now, flat packs. I don't necessarily think flat packs are are perfect either, because first of all, flat packs are very very structured uh, around gnome, which is not a winner for everybody. Obviously, it is predominantly a Red Hat controlled project. Although there's like, you know, it's only like seventy five percent. It's not ninety five percent like Mark Shuttleworth said in interviews. Um, and it, it's still very much predicated a lot around a repo. Like if you want to go download a piece of software right now, when you download that, it adds a repo and then pulls the file down. And that I think us Linux users prefer. But I, I think that's not I actually. I don't think what I don't think it's what I don't think it's what the people creating software want, and they're going to be part of the people driving the decision here. And so, Unlo- the only way that would work is if it was some sort of a public thing. So, like if I maintain uh, the the widgets package, and I can go into the repo and put my version of the widgets package into the repo at any time I want. I log in, kind of like GitHub, and I, I just I push my my new software changes up into the repo, and then all my users can pull it down. That could possibly work, but from my understanding, and it's actually it was Rotten Corpse I was having this discussion with. He said that his biggest problem with repositories is he loses all control over his software, and there is a version that's over two years out of date in Debian right now, and there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah, well, and you also uh, you also don't get um, like stats and stuff like that. That you know, whatever. But right. yeah, it's an oh, interesting can- debate. It's just. It's one of those that's very heated right now, and, and I'm like, ah, I know everybody just wants – you know what it is? Is It's that it touches on that old nerve of can we all just work on one standard and not reinvent the wheel 13 times at once? Um, but legit- The XKCD comic, problem, there are 13 competing standards. Let's make a standard to standardize them all. Problem, yeah. there are now 14 competing standards. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we thought we were kind of getting there with Flatpak and AppImage and Orbitals and all that stuff. However, like – all competing technologies in the open source landscape, each one of them does have something unique about them that makes them competitive, and they're all worth considering on their face. And I think at this point, if you get lost in the weeds over how the PR was handled, instead of discussing the technological problems it's solving, you're talking about the wrong thing. And you need to refocus on the actual technology here. And second, I wouldn't get super hung up on high and mighty about any of these different software distributions' security at this point. None of them are complete. All of them are early. There's a lot still to be done. But if we roll up our sleeves, as it were, and start playing with these things, they do offer something. Imagine, if you will, even if it's only just ever Corita, your web browser, Telegram, and a handful of applications, and everything else comes from your package manager. That's the future I see. Yeah, and you know the great thing, you know, just to, to, to dovetail onto that, the great thing about that is if you have a company, and I've worked with them, you have these large companies that that they they like they they poop out a Linux uh, install like once every like yeah. five years, yeah. And so, and if you're yeah, that's if you're lucky. Yeah. And so we have a particular piece of software working with a very large software vendor, and they support Linux, but their idea of supporting Linux is like you know 1004. We yeah. just released yeah. 1004. Oh my gosh, about. yeah, yeah. So if we get if we can get a point where those people, I would love it if they would make a snap image and then. That that way, the image will run regardless of what operating – you know, as the operating system advances, that's fine. They just – they spit out their one image, and now we can shoehorn that into the, the latest version of mm-hmm. Ubuntu. And my client that I was just talking about, that's all before, probably wouldn't have that problem. Yeah, I'm going to play with all of these more. Uh, I've Now I've got AppImage and uh, SnapD installed on my machine. If you guys would like to know about more about how these technologies work, like if you want us to do a deep dive, it's pretty fascinating stuff really. Um, especially uh, especially right now snapd is fun to play with just because it's 
There's a lot of cool snap packages being created. Uh, all of it is interesting. And one of the things, by the way, Fedora, which uh, the next Fedora releases next week, if everything goes as planned, one of the features... It will not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. One of the features hailed in the new Fedora is its flat pack compatibility. So it's happening right now. So buckle up. All right, Noah, you ready to go talk about some hardware? Let's talk about laptops. Yeah. That's all the news for this week. Laptops seem to be blowing up these days, and I know a lot of you out there are always searching for the quote-unquote perfect Linux laptop. It's a topic we talk about from time to time, and you've wrote in and said, well, we'd love to hear your take on some of the ThinkPad lines. So we're going to be talking about the ThinkPad X260 today, Noah's take on it. And before we get there, I'm going to tell you about Linux Academy. Linux Academy is a great platform to learn more about the technologies around Linux and the core Linux technologies itself. Uh, Turth, I saw him in the chat room this morning. He's, he's doing what I love to do with Linux Academy. Uh, he's taking courseware even though he doesn't really need to, so that way he doesn't have the pressure on it. So he's just enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, Linux Academy is a great platform, though, if you're currently employed and just want to get your employer's attention, if you're trying to get more clients, trying to get a new area, learn a new skill set, or just stay up to date, maybe even challenge yourself. They have 2,488 self-paced courses with videos and comprehensive study guides, audio you can download and listen to offline, scenario-based labs that put you in the middle of everyday common tasks, instructor mentoring that helps you on these really complicated topics, development environments like Python and Ruby and Android, and all of the essentials around Linux. They have availability planners so you can tell just how much time you have, and it automatically generates courseware around that for you, which is really nice when life gets busy, like on a Father's Day weekend. I think that's probably one of my favorite features. They have a new social card platform they're introducing. Not like Twitter cards. Not like Google cards. These are like note-taking cards. It's Linux Academy, guys. You can fork the card stacks and make really great study cards. In fact, they're giving away a $200 Amazon gift card to some of the best stacks right now. This is a cool new feature they're rolling out all the time. The Linux Academy not only increases in content constantly, but also the platform gets better and better. That's just part of your investment. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We brought the unplugged discount over to the Linux Action Show. You get a great deal for a great system. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And if you're a team, check out some of their team features. Like if you're working at a company, it's a great way to keep the team up to date or if you're moving over to a new technology. Also something to consider is that you can choose your Linux distro. So if you need to study between distros or something like that, this is super nice. You go in there, you pick your distro, all the courseware automatically adjusts to match that distro's command structure, and the virtual machines that they spin up on demand that you can SSH into also match that distro. It's a kick-ass platform built by people super passionate about Linux, educators, and developers, and now it's stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. What can't you love about that? The odds are in your favor at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Thanks, guys. Okay, Noah, so we've... It's funny because you can really tell when the audience is on to something. People are looking at uh, a lot of different laptops these days. And we mm-hmm. are constantly always looking for a great laptop to, to pass on. Uh, I have this 10-year-old laptop right here that I did yesterday. And back in the day, that would have been a heck of a laptop for it. And so you're always, you're, you know, you're always looking for a laptop that if you're going to make the investment, that sucker lasts for a long time. Um, right. And so that kind of takes out things like the Chromebooks and stuff like that. So, and I divide laptops into three categories. Yeah. I divide laptops into the first one is the inexpensive laptops, sure. the cheap little Chromebooks, the Atom Power, the Celerons, you know, they're, <laughs> they're under $300, right? Yeah. And the second class is like the Ultrabook, uh, MacBook style things, the aluminum chassis, super nice build quality, really, really thin, uh, has a lot of power under it, but 
it's almost like a it's almost like a glass sculpture. You want to be really careful. You don't want finger smudges on it. You don't want it to get scratched. <laughs> you don't want to drop it. And then you got the ThinkPads, and they're th- these are like the workhorses, and they're very expensive and they're very powerful. But you don't you eat off the top of them. You can put your Happy Meal on there and eat off the top because it doesn't matter. They're you can definitely drop it they have, the and they have a very industrial look to them. I guess very industrial putting it look nicely. And, and just very it just it's for people who want to get work done, and you can't really intermingle the people who are interested in like the MacBook Ultrabook style things are not going to be happy with the ThinkPad and people that want the workhorse of the ThinkPad don't want the delicate little prissy thing that is the MacBook and and both of those users don't want anything to do with cheap hardware and the cheap hardware people aren't going to oh pay boy. for either the you know the expensive okay ones. So, so so this is the third category we've never really we've talked about the first two yeah, at reasonable length we've never really talked about this third one all right well I look forward to it Noah Noah heroically kick the tires for us take it away pass Noah <laughs> Noah, from the past. Sound. I'm no stranger to the Lenovo, formerly IBM, ThinkPad series. Typically, though, I've always purchased ThinkPads used. I started with my very first one, a IBM ThinkPad 755C, upgraded to the 560E, eventually the 701C, and most recently, I've had the IBM ThinkPad T420, which I actually learned from a Linux convention, a couple different Linux conventions, actually, that it's a very popular model to have. I bought it for 250 bucks off of eBay. I always buy my ThinkPads used. In fact, I buy most of my laptops used because I really like the cost savings of buying a year or two old model. I find that I can get them for well under uh, a couple hundred bucks, and I'm not paying for that essentially bragging rights. But recently, a couple of things have come together um, from my company side, as well as a couple of other variables that have required me to purchase a new computer. And so for the first time in my life, Straight from Lenovo to me, all the way from China, I have my very first brand new Lenovo ThinkPad. This is an X260 series because, as those of you who know me know, that I really like small portable packages. So it's a 12.5-inch display, IPS display, 1080p with 16 gigs of RAM and a 512-gig MVNE solid-state drive. I'm not going to bore you with the unboxing this time because, frankly, nobody liked it last time, but I'm going to show you exactly why it is I decided to purchase this particular model and what it is I like about it. So I've just unboxed my IBM ThinkPad X260, and as any good Linux user does, it has never booted Windows. I powered it on, immediately pressed Enter, stuck my USB key in the side, turned off Secure Boot, and booted straight into Ubuntu 16.04. Now, this is where we have to stop and talk for a second. If you're expecting to purchase a computer out out of the box, pull it out, and have Linux work automatically, there is no guarantee from Lenovo that you're going to be able to do that. You are taking a risk. And this computer cost me $1,600, and it came with no guarantee whatsoever that it would work with Ubuntu. And if it hadn't worked with Ubuntu, I would have gotten absolutely no support from Lenovo, you'd be totally on your own. So if you want a guarantee that something's going to work on Linux, I'd recommend going with something like System76. All that said, turns out the IBM, or the Lenovo ThinkPad X260 actually does work flawlessly right out of the box with Ubuntu. Save a couple problems with Ubuntu, which we'll get to in a second. Now, as mentioned on numerous other occasions, the 13-inch or 12.5-inch laptop is my wheelhouse. Things you'll notice right off the bat, as pointed out by Lewis Rosman in his excellent ThinkPad review, They have removed the volume keys and mute keys that were up here, and they've also done something which I find particularly frustrating, and that is they double up the insert and end key. So you need to use the function key to access 
the end key or the insert key, depending on if you have the function locked or not. Now, if you lock the function key, this top row of keys will function as their media buttons rather than their F keys. That's not particularly desirable because I use programs like Quake that have the F12 key to bring down the terminal. And what I've chosen to do to get around this problem is I've simply reassigned Quake to the tilde key like Chris does, and that has seemed to work for me. Um, the ThinkPads, of course, come with the track point, which I prefer to use as my mouse. You get dedicated buttons for the track point as well as a full-size click pad, which... Um, has the which is one of those tilted click pads so you can press anywhere on here to click the 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 click pad i don't prefer that but it is an option for you walking around the computer on the first side we have the smart card reader the full size ethernet jack one usb and the sim card slot which allows me to connect an unlocked any unlocked gsm wan card that i've installed in here to any provider that provides GSM service. I'm, of course, going to go with Ting. On this side, we have the power connector, the HDMI, full-size HDMI, a display port, and two additional USB ports. Now, as some of you know, I voluntarily surrender one of my USB ports for the uh, YubiKey. And, of course, we have the headset jack, too. should not forget to mention that. One other thing that Lenovo does on their keyboards, and they have copied Apple in this regard, is they have the function key and the control key reversed, and I, I hate that. Um, my finger naturally wants to go towards the control key at the bottom, and I end up hitting the function key. Now, the good news is, inside of the BIOS, Lenovo offers you an option to swap that off so that you can actually swap those two keys, but then, of course, they're mislabeled. So I've chosen to just work around it and learn to hit the control key rather than the function key when I'm using the computer. For better or for worse, I've decided to go with Ubuntu 16.04, and it works fairly well, except, of course, for these gigantic, annoying bugs that Canonical still hasn't fixed on their LTS stable version that people will have for up to five <laughs> years, um, not the least of which is this annoying Wi-Fi problem that says I'm not connected to the Wi-Fi, but yet, of course, if we drop to a terminal... and ping Google. Of course, we are connected to the internet. I just can't change networks without running this script, which I actually got from a viewer um, that rescans all of the Wi-Fi networks. Super annoying bug. Thanks to the MVNE drive, though, applications load very fast. As you can see here, I'm working on this exact review segment and video editing on this thing. Skylake 6th Gen, even though it's Intel graphics, is amazing, and the applications are very responsive. And I've even managed to pull in some 4K video that I had from the drone last time I was in Washington, and that edits beautifully on this machine. The last thing I want to talk about is battery, and the battery in this thing is absolutely incredible. I've been using this nonstop all day, and I still have 38%. Now, this has two batteries. The first is the optional uh, six-cell battery that I purchased that comes off the back, and of course, it's dinging at me as I as I'm removing it, but this is, uh, you know, the, the big brick that hangs off the back. They do have a flush mount one. Now, you'll notice that the laptop stays on, and that's because inside there's actually an additional three-cell battery that's built into the computer that'll give you about roughly two hours of use. Now, I'm a battery hog. I like to live on my laptop. 
I take it with me everywhere I go. So I'm really thankful that Lenovo offers me the six cell battery choice. Now, there has been a lot of discussion I've seen on the Internet of people complaining about PC manufacturers not building bigger batteries into the laptops. Apple, for example, is essentially a gigantic battery with a laptop hanging off the back end. And a lot of people have been very critical of other PC manufacturers saying, well, why don't they do uh, it that way? Why is it that we make the batteries in these big, chunky cases that... um, that have to be put into the computer. Because, of course, if you can put the battery cells right into the computer and not encase them in this big, thick plastic, that's fine because there's no risk of them being punctured. But if they're going to be removable, you have to add a certain amount of thickness to the battery and the computer itself to encase the batteries. And I want to explain why I am really thankful that Lenovo has gone this route. I'm going to be taking a trip here in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to be on a plane for 13 plus hours and recharging my laptop. Some planes have the ability to um, provide charging inside of the plane, but it's going to be very nice for me to be able to take two or three of these external batteries and swap them as I'm in flight and I don't have access to power. Additionally, when I'm going out for even a weekend trip, to be able to just get on the airplane and go throughout the trip and not have to worry about stopping and charging back up, that's a real benefit. So I'm really thankful that I have the ability to swap those batteries out. I also don't mind the fact that it tilts the laptop up a little bit because there's obviously the feet stick out and so it it tilts the laptop up. I actually like that, some people don't. They do make a flat battery option if that's not for you. Overall, very pleased with the computer. Of course, as with reviewing any hardware, it'll take a couple weeks before I can tell you 100% things I like and don't like about it. But initial out of the box, impressions are a very good computer, a very good uh, quality and and value for the price I paid for it. Only thing I'm not very happy about is there is no guaranteed Linux support out of the box. You'd have to go to a higher-end manufacturer like System76. But for what it's worth, Reddit employees all use ThinkPad, so they must work pretty well. <laughs> nice, they're nice. You know, uh, so I wanted to ask. I had a couple. I noticed a couple of follow-up questions in the chat room. So, uh, did you have a chance to try the? I think it has Mini DisplayPort on that thing. Did you have a chance to try that out? And how did that work? I did. I had a. I had a friend that has a some sort of a, <clears throat> I, I, and I'm not is super up to date on how the whole display port thing works but we we had it set up so you could connect <clears throat> two individual monitors through that display port mm-hmm. um and that worked yeah yeah it worked okay. great nice um the the other thing is and i, I just want to give kind of a follow-up so uh lewis rosman actually is is kind of the guy that that originally got me looking at the 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 newer thinkpads and, and he has a youtube channel where he basically shows you how to do component level repair stuff of thinkpads and he actually has my old uh 240 at the moment and he was a nice guy he actually i he was working <laughs> he was working on it and uh i asked him i said well how much do i owe you and it, it had been like a month because i'm busy and i don't really have time to follow up with them all the time <clears throat> and he goes Honestly, man, because you didn't bug me every three weeks or every week, ask me for an update, uh, just pay for shipping. And we, so they actually fixed it for me for free. Awesome. Um, yeah. So super, super nice guy. If you want to learn how to fix computers at the component level stuff, Lewis Rosman on YouTube, Rosman Repair Group. And of course, that's actually where I'm sending all – anytime I have a component level stuff I need repaired, he's the guy I go to. Super nice guy. So um, that's uh, uh, on YouTube? That's a YouTube yeah. channel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's on YouTube. Rosman Repair. Rosman Repair. I guess mm-hmm. uh, just touching on the uh, uh, highlights, something I noticed there. You mentioned it had a SIM card in it, so you have you have GSM service in there, and that works under that works okay under Linux. 
it works under Linux and with Ting. So you just put the you put the SIM card in. I, I and I get LTE, which I didn't get uh, on the on the Ting hotspots. Like and, if you have the if you try yeah. tether, it doesn't right. And uh, a couple of questions I had for you. Just uh, one other quick one. Uh, it's got a Intel graphics card in it, right? Mm-hmm. It's Intel graphics. Okay, and it's you mentioned it was Sky like i seven sixty six hundred. Twelve point five inches, not too small. Twelve point yeah, so so it's twelve point six. So it's their take on the thirteen oh, okay. inch laptop, but they have you know they've scaled it down just a hair. And I was a little concerned about it being too small, but honestly, uh, I you know with that 1080p display, it's just about right. You know, that's hmm. about the right screen to resolution ratio that it works out fine. And you know, I figure if I can if I can edit video and I can do text at the you know those are kind of two options. And can you do more than sixteen gigs of RAM? I think it tops out at sixteen. Yeah, I okay. think it, it maxes and at sixteen. Uh, that's like my XPS. And then my last question for you is: Was that load time legit? Yeah, that was real. That load time you that showed was, that was that was. I, I mean, there was no camera work there. That was yeah. I wonder if you edited that. That. Is, that is, what that is that is an, that is a <laughs> Samsung nine fifty MVNE. Uh, drive so it is the fastest yeah. MVNE drive on the market, and yeah. of course made by Samsung. I think the other one to compare this to this X two sixty would probably be uh, on the same line would probably be the Dell uh, Sputnik XPS thirteen, which is also a very nice machine. Uh, so you use both of them next, you know, kind of back to back. What did you which which one did you walk away preferring? Uh, the ThinkPad, but for, for for only a couple of reasons. For one, I cannot. I am totally out at this point on higher than 1080p resolution. Yeah, so you can get the Sputnik with a 1080p to panel. Mine is the 4K because I was curious how Linux does on that, which is yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's great if if you have applications that support scaling. Yeah. Uh, it you know it's it's you know it's fine, but then you run into these applications that don't, and then it's it's a total nightmare. I'll tell you the feature I, I, I was I'm wondering what about you know so the XPS where I was trying to get you to go with this is it seems like the one of the big differentiators. Besides having the GSM SIM if, uh, support, if you need it, would be that removable battery. The fact that you yeah. can pop that battery off, and there's a three cell in the battery that keeps it running, and you can well, pop so, on a new battery. That's something the XPS can't touch. Well, so, just in general, it's designed as more of a workhorse than a than a light power than than a light power user type uh, setup. So, I'll give you an example. On the XPS, it it presupposes that you are going to carry a power brick around with you and plug in wherever you are. And that's not the way I work. I have a dock at my office and I have a dock at my house. And so I sit down at work, I set my laptop, my dock, boom, my USB printer is connected, my speakers are connected, my two monitors are connected, my keyboard's connected, my mouse is connected, and my laptop's charging. When I need to go out on a service call, I hit the eject button, I walk out the front door, all my stuff is there on my actual computer. If I have to plug in, I can Additionally, I purchased an external battery charger for oh, the cool. computer. So I, actually, so I have three batteries, and two of them sit at home and are just on a charger. So uh-huh. every morning, I just grab a fresh battery and swap them out. So I'm never down. I'm never tied down to I have to let my laptop charge. That's and not a thing for me. Are you able to disable or toggle the uh, tap-to-click functionality of the trackpad? Not only can you disable it in Linux, inside of the BIOS itself, I can disable. I can so I can disable tap to click. That's working fine under Linux. But as as a step further, you can actually go into the BIOS and disable the click pad touchpad altogether. Wow. So you're just using the track point. Wow, you must really appreciate that because that's a big yeah, thing for I don't you. Like track, yeah, I don't uh, like track. Now, last question: Did you replace the wireless, or is it what it shipped with? 
No, it's what it's shipped with. And, but I did check. Uh, Lenovo is no longer white. Or at least this particular model is not whitelisted to a certain uh, a certain subset of, of of cards, which my last computer was subject to. I tried to upgrade it to AC, and you, you try to tr- start the computer, and it says not authorized wireless card, and you can't boot. And the only way to fix that is to desolder like this PCM, reprogram it, and then solder it back on. So basically what I'm saying <laughs> is you can't do it. Wow. Um, and, yeah, I know. I know. And it's and we would not tolerate that from any other no, manufacturer. No. Uh, they're okay. no longer doing that. I guess I lied. Time. I had one more question for you. And this is sort of the big detractor for me in Lenovo is I don't think I trust Lenovo as a company. I mean the stuff they've did with Superfish and there's actually been there's been other things since Superfish. Like they people have looked at their their the software for like their updates and stuff like that. It's it's bad stuff and in some cases mm-hmm. it, it enables man in the middle attacks for SSL sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts around buying from Lenovo as a company? So the customer experience is actually pretty bad. Uh, so you know, and it, I'm a little tainted because I was I was back to back, you know, with System seventy six, which has you know an amazing customer experience. So you know, it was it's probably a little unfair to Lenovo. But so for example, I go into System seventy six, I make the law, I I you know I, I sign into my account and I place the order. Immediately, yeah. I get a confirmation. This is what you ordered. This is the ship date. This is what's happening. Right. And then I'm tracking everything that's happening. And there's like a thread you can even have a conversation in about. Yeah, and yeah. I did. I asked them questions. You know, and we're going back and forth. So fast forward to Lenovo, I go and place the order and it's, I don't even get a confirmation. I don't even know if the computer's ordered. In fact, I'm trying to confirm that I've ordered it and I can't figure it out. I see it on my bank account before it actually shows up in like the little Lenovo tracker thing portal session. Okay, fine. Not a big deal, but kind of, kind of, it kind of took away from my oomph of buying a new laptop. So then I'm looking and I'm like, well, when's the thing's going to ship? 13 days. Oh, it's going to take 13 days for one of the largest PC manufacturers in the world to assemble a laptop and ship it to me. And how heavily did you customize the laptop, or was it pretty much a stock order? Uh, Pretty heavily. Okay, that adds a delay. But but I customized it with more RAM and a hard drive. That should take about 45 seconds for that to install. That's pretty common, too. That's got to be a super common upgrade, too. Okay, so fine. All right. So it's going to take 13 days. Not a huge deal. And they beat it by a day. So I guess I'm not. So, so I'm tracking it as I'm watching this stupid green line. Go, <laughs> finally, it ships. I'm like, oh, great. So now I'll have it in a day, right? Because I paid for expedited shipping. No, because it ships from Shenzhou, China. Right. So the UPS world posted from China and I'm watching this package fly all the way around the world and eventually come into Alaska and then all the, these UPS hubs. And then it hits bad weather. So oh, it no. actually missed the expected delivery. Well, I went to UPS and banged on the door and I'm like, give me my laptop. But just the, the customer and at no time was I ever contacted by Lenovo and said, you know, if you have any questions, <laughs> or if you have any concerns. Yeah. And again, I can't <laughs> yeah. stress this enough. I the entire time I'm thinking to myself, geez, I spent sixteen hundred bucks. I sure hope I can get Linux to work on it because I'm not using anything else. And it's just, yeah, you don't yeah. know. It's just it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So. Well, it's good that you you tried it. So if people want to know, they can refer to this. And uh, well, maybe we'll check back in down the road and uh, see how it's working for you. But uh, I, I sound like it, it seemed like a pretty nice computer and often a frequently uh, requested piece of hardware. There's several people in our chat room that are apparently using it too. I think the thing I'm most excited for is the fact that the longevity is going to last a very long time. The longevity is long. 10 years down the road, we might still – there will be still people who will be interested. So what you're saying, it has long longevity that Mm -hmm. lasts. Long longevity that lasts is what you're saying. Yes. Very long. I got that. You know what? Speaking of that longevity – Speaking of that longevity – we should mm-hmm. give away uh, one of those things. Are you ready to do it? I was thinking so. All right. Well, that wraps up Linux Action Show's look at the ThinkPad X260. Now, let's go do some feedback. 
And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we go out of here, before we wrap it up for Father's Day, we want to give a laptop away. And first, speaking of laptops, I want to thank System76 for making great machines that are designed to run Linux, which solve a lot of problems. If you want a bulletproof solution for when you need to reload your computer, if you want a support system, System76.com. Powerful computers, they always want to help you do more. System76 also, besides laptops, has killer desktops. Great machines, modern technology, from tiny rigs to huge high-end workstations. Then they have laptops, ranging from 14 inches up to 17 inches, massive desktop replacements. And not a lot of people know this. I think a lot of people mistakenly think that these machines are assembled in what was yours assembled, Noah? Singapore? Shenzhou, China. Yeah, Shenzhou, China. These are assembled here in the U.S. of A. Now, some of the parts are sourced from outside the country, sure. But uh, System 76 actually has two different locations in the United States of America where they assemble the machines and then ship them to you. Desktops and laptops built to run Linux with a, com- with a company and a community behind it. Go over to System76.com and get a machine designed to run Linux. Stop fighting with your hardware and you get to play with your Linux system 76.com. Okay, no, so before we roll, uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up with a giveaway. Tell the folks about the machine we're giving away today. You ready for this? So, so this is it. so I am a I'm a ThinkPad nut. I started way in my early days with you know with the with the with the 755 C's. It was a big old brick, one of the you know Back in the very day. much one of the first ThinkPads that that IBM made. And I I love ThinkPads all the way up until they got sold to Lenovo, and then I kind of fell off the bandwagon for a little bit, and eventually came back over to them. But it took me a little bit. So this is an original. This is still when it was the company was owned by IBM. They were still making them. And at the time, there was a time you know in like the what Chris like early 90s late 80s early 90s where the thinkpad was just the laptop to have if you were a business <laughs> owner yeah you had a yeah. thinkpad and, yeah. and this has it I, when i booted it up too and i saw this it was just it was a funny thing they the thinkpads had this weird quirk where the track point would recalibrate itself sometimes so if you were you're you're using it all of a sudden the mouse would just start tracking up the up the, the corner of the screen and then it would just and you just take your hands off and it would stop and then you'd go back and, and then do your work. And and uh, and and this particular computer is is plagued by that very traditional bug that, that really, goes if you were from. that guy, you love it. So this is a Rockin' 1.73 gigahertz processor. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. Pentium M. <clears throat> Two gigabytes of RAM. Yep. And 80 gigabyte hard drive with a DVD optical drive. <clears throat> we are officially... Opening up the phone lines to the chat room right now. If you are our seventh caller into the show, we will be giving away that very laptop that Noah just described. I think if you are someone who thinks a nice, rock-solid workhorse that runs Linux well enough and, in Noah's case, run an i3, this might just be the machine for you. You don't need a Chromebook. Xmonad. Oh yeah! Oh really? Xmonad. Yeah. I wasn't using it. How? What'd you yeah. think? What'd you think? Xmonad. I love it. I the thing is like Xmonad is, and I know I'm not going to convince you of this over the year, but Xmonad is that you know how you feel about me with syncing? That's how I feel about you with productivity with Xmonad. Yeah. If, like once you get in, like once you buy into it, you're like, oh, I can get my work done this yeah. way. You'll never go back. Boom, like, boom, it boom. is such an efficient way to get things done, especially on multi monitor. Well, uh, so. Are you going to leave it loaded? What are you, how are you going to ship this thing when the? Uh... I'll ship it however, however the person wants. Okay. By default, I would I would suggest if I was making a suggestion for you, I would suggest a nice stable 
operating system like Ubuntu 1604. <laughs> That's what's on there right now, right? Is Ubuntu 1604? Yeah, now you can yeah. load snaps. Okay, so uh, we told uh, we told the chat room that if they were the seventh caller, they could call in. So in the meantime. Uh, it looks like we have our first caller on the line. I don't know if that's caller number seven or caller number one, but we got we got a caller on the line. Uh, so we'll go, we'll start going through the call list, find caller number seven, and bring them in. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready to roll. All right, I'm going to dial up our first one here. Uh, I don't know if this is number seven or is here. I'll ask Ham. Hey Ham or Hey Ham. Hey Ham. Is that number seven or number one? You were like, remember that? When you put remember when I mentioned that earlier? Remember when I mentioned that earlier? And I was like, hey, let's make sure we label it right. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but there's a lot you know, going on. It's probably not seven. That's probably why I didn't say that. Yeah, probably. All right. Okay. It wasn't seven. Okay. So I'm gonna call up number. I'm gonna call that lineup. We'll just find out right now. Are you excited? <laughs> we'll ask the caller. The caller number seven. This is no good. Okay. All right. No, this is caller number two. He's, he's caller number two. <laughs> Hello, caller. Welcome to the Linux Action Show. You, you probably sound like a robot, don't you? Go ahead and say something. Hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, he's good. You sound like a robot. <laughs> We're good. This audio Jalen in the chat. Well, uh, thank you for calling in. Sorry you're not number seven. Uh, I'm gonna hang oh. up on you though because you sound like a robot. Doing his Linux on the show, so things don't work all the time. <laughs> Hold on, no, you uh, you vamp for a second while I unplug the audio interface. So we do all of our production under Linux because <laughs> we believe it is a superior operating system. And yeah. Often when you're using superior operating systems, you run into inferior problems. <laughs> now like I gotta what? Now I gotta close the program <laughs> and uh, <laughs> reassign my audio interface really quick. And then I'll relaunch the program so I can continue to take calls. This is so professional. All right. Uh, You too can have a laptop that runs. So uh, caller number six is calling in right now. Let's bring in caller number six. Are you ready? Caller number six is calling in right now. Let's bring them in. I think I fixed. Nope, it's still robot. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, caller number six. We might. We might just need to restart the box if you just give us a You were so close, Mr. Lou. I'm sorry, but at least you came on the show and you trolled us sounding like a uh, like a like a robot. So you got that. So thank you for calling in. Uh, all right. So um, Noah, we need to have a little conference here on recommendations on how I can fix the sound interface. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah. Uh, here's my suggestion. My suggestion is I better go to Amazon and buy you a good sound interface. <laughs> I say Boulder Dash. All right. So uh, we got oh caller number seven is calling in right now. This is super exciting, Noah. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, so hold on. Let's build the tension. Okay, so I'm going to try one more time restarting the audio interface. Well, while he's doing that, the thing is, like, we were at this music store, and, and we're on the way out to Linux Fest, like last year. Uh, and I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the cabinet. And I'm like, oh, you have it, it's, it, it is, uh, and who makes that thing? It's, um, <laughs> oh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, oh, yeah, it's an alpha. All right, so I did the, I did the suspense music, so I could, okay, okay you could, oh yeah, I'll finish your story real quick, and then we'll bring in our caller number oh, seven. Well, that's fine. We bring in seven. So we, yeah, well, we picked up this thing on a, on a whim, uh, and it turns out that might have been a bit of a mistake. All right, so calling in. Uh, uh, well, hold on. We got one more caller before we get to number seven. You ready? We have one more person. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> Hello, caller number six, or whatever you are. Thank you for calling into the show. <laughs> Who is this? 
This is Herb Miller Jr. Hello, sir. Well, uh, uh, you sound. We, we can make you out. Go ahead. Did you say caller number six? I'm not sure which caller. I think you're actually you're caller number eight. You're actually caller number eight, unfortunately. I just danced around caller number seven to build the anticipation and try to fix the machine. Okay, because Sam told me ten. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> This has gone completely off the rails. <laughs> and on top of that, my fan just fell out of the window and almost knocked over my lights. All right, let's just end the stream. <laughs> let's just call it our winner. All right, all right. Caller number. Here we go. Caller number seven. Anthony, are you there? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Hello, sir. Guess what? You congratulations. You are our winner. Sound like a robot, but you are definitely the winner of the uh, gently loved ThinkPad. And uh, I assume, are you on Telegram, Anthony? Uh, Telegram? No, I'm okay. not. All right, well, you'll have to email Noah then to work out the details. Noah at JupiterBroadcasting.com. Uh, I'm glad you're able to get a connection in. I don't know why you sound like a robot, but uh, you guys might remember Anthrit was on a uh, uh, episode of Linux Unplugged a while back. So congratulations, sir, and thank you for uh, making it through the call list. I appreciate that it. That was fun. All right. You get in touch with Noah now, okay? NoahJupiterBroadcasting.com. Yeah, there you go. Let's sign up for Telegram. It's an amazing experience. It's a change your life. <laughs> Jeez. I'll let you go so you don't have to hear that anymore. All right. And then your audio interface problem. Let's, uh, let's uh, polish it off with one more. Uh, one, let's talk to one more robot from the chat room. You know what this is making me think? The chat room's full of bots. Maybe it's not the audio interface. Maybe. Maybe, it's, Maybe we don't have a real audience. Yeah. Hello, Jim. Are you there? Jay, yeah. Oh, hello, sir. Welcome. For, thank you for calling. What's on your mind? Oh, who's this, Chris? Yeah, this is. Yeah, do I sound like a robot to you too? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've been watching you guys for you know over three years, and uh, love your uh, show, and uh, uh, love all the things you do. Thank you. If I believe robots had emotion, that would mean something to me. But since I don't believe... <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. I love it. Thank you, sir. Thank you for calling in, and uh, have a good one. Uh, we'll get uh, that audio fixed up for next week uh, real soon here, Noah, because that is a bit of a train wreck. <laughs> just the worst giveaway ever. <laughs> I can't believe it. And I can't believe my fan fell down out of the window in the middle of it all, too. It's horrible. Oh, there we go. See, there goes the fan. <laughs> the fan just... <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to contribute to the show, I'm not sure why you would, but LinuxActionShow.com, <laughs> that's where you go. Uh, you can also give us feedback there. We'll have a thread just for this episode. If you want to send us some email, you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. If you want to contact us on Twitter, I'm at Chris LAS. He's at Kernel Linux over there and at Jupiter Signal for the network announcement. Why don't you join us live so you can participate directly in the train wreck at jblive.tv and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We'll convert it to your local time. Anything else that we need to cover, hey, Noah? At least we're using Linux. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at least we're using Linux. That's Give the, us credit. We're using Linux. We get a couple problems, but we just solve it so that you know not to – Lexicon. That's what it is. You know, lexicon Alpha. So usually, you know not to use the Lexicon Alpha because you'll sound like a robot. Usually – that uh, unplug and replug the audio interface solves it, but I think when it's there's not on the ear doing a show. Yeah, well, no, I have actually before. <laughs> it's not the first time I've had to do that. Trust me, I got that maneuver down. That's why I have a gnome extension, <laughs> so I can change the audio interface on the fly. Are you serious? I do really. Yeah, here I'll show you. Okay, so look, so this is actually this is actually really great. So uh, I have uh, right. Not great. The fact that you have this. See right there. I have all my different. Look at that. Right there under that menu, I have all my different audio interfaces. Right there. Boom. So it just takes care of it for me. What a mess. Problem solved, dude. Problem. 
Problem solved. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. I will see you right back here next week. Uh, you got enough room in your... Uh, can you fit a 40-foot uh, RV in your uh, front yard? Yeah. Okay. Can fit in my driveway. All right. Well, there you go. You don't mind, right? Actually, I really wouldn't care. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't care. As long as I can get my car in and out of the driveway, I could care less what, what else is in the driveway. So you have uh, Arch on this thing? <laughs> no. Really? What did you put on that? What do you think I put on it? Ubuntu? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, you'd be happy to know the machine that is dedicated to Jupiter Broadcasting sitting right in front of me is running Arche. Targos. Okay, so now I, I don't really have a good way to pitch it. Let's see. Because I'm going to talk about using like a good modern distro on there or something. 1604, man. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, at least you, know, you can install snaps yeah, on it. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Uh, yeah, so Windows Surface. Yes, yes. We'll be giving away a uh, Surface RT. Um, it only runs Windows RT, but uh, probably use Dude, Microsoft Edge. What are we? Are we not talking about the show right now? We're not talking about. Yeah, I know exactly. Okay. No, we're talking about the show. Focus. There's people in the chat room that are having trouble trying to call in, and I'm like, Oh, are they? Are they, is that because they're not using phones? Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm thinking about ways I could fix it, and then I decided that that's... Guys, not here's the thing. Time to do that. If, if collectively, as a group... And I'm not, I'm not talking... I'm not talking about you, babe. I'm not going to... You, 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 you out there in the chat. I'm not talking about you. I know you always do it right. But you see, everybody else, they fuck it up all the time. They always leave their stream going when they call in. They don't have their mic set up properly. They have speakers going with their microphone, so there's echo back. You see, they're just a bunch of screw-ups constantly, and so we have to use the phone because it turns out the phone just works, and if they're on the phone and they can quickly mute their computer, it solves our problem. So I'm telling you, from me to you, if collectively you could all get your shit together on this particular problem, we wouldn't use the phone system because it's cost of Noah money. Here's the thing, though. Ten years into this, guys, guys, real talk, okay? Okay? Ten years into this. Ten years into this. Y'all haven't gotten figured out yet. I'm not saying. I know you got other things to do. You're busy. See, so I don't judge you. I know you got... You, I, not, I know you if, you, if you, if it was the only thing you had to do, you'd have it nailed. I know that. I, and I believe that. Here's the thing. You just don't have the time to nail it down. It's been 10 years. I've waited for you to get it right. Hasn't happened yet. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> but it's just the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, I just want to make the internet great again. I, I want to make it great. I a smart person, so I feel like it's a failure on my part as a communicator. And if I could just explain it to you with small, simple words, you would understand. <laughs>